Today we conclude our three-part sermon series entitled Songs of Christmas. This morning I want you to hear the angelic choir as they proclaim good news of great joy which shall be for all the people. If you have your Bible, I invite you to take it and turn once again to the gospel according to Luke. Today I want you to turn to chapter 2. I want to read the first 20 verses in your hearing. So once you find your place in sacred scripture, please stand out of reverence to the public reading of God's most precious Christmas story. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 20. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that was taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem to the town of David because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him, and she was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in swaddling clothes, placed him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them. The glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You'll find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared and the angel, uh, with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them, And gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. May God add his richest blessing to the reading, the preaching, the understanding, and the obedience of his perfect word. You may be seated. The Christmas backstory is nothing short of scandalous. Mary and Joseph were engaged, yet before their wedding, it was revealed that she was pregnant. Now, when they first were pledged to each other, everyone concluded this is a match made in heaven. The Bible says of Joseph, he was a righteous man. The scripture says of Mary that she was highly favored of the Lord. Everyone in the town of Nazareth knew Mary and Joseph, and they loved Mary and Joseph. After all, they were great students in high school. They were leaders in the student ministry at FSN, you know, First Synagogue of Nazareth. They were loved by the congregation and by the community of every generation, both young and old. Everyone in Nazareth knew everybody else. So you can well imagine that when Mary began to show, the rumors began to spread. The people of Nazareth, they did not have Facebook or Twitter, but can you imagine if they had 
their IG accounts would have blown up, right? I mean, they would have spread the word about what was going on, and they would have made up a bunch of stories. Now, at first they thought that Mary and Joseph had been messing around, but Joseph was adamant that they had not done anything immoral or unethical. So then the people concluded that Mary, well, she uh, must have been cheating on Joseph. I'm sure that probably more than one person pulled Joseph aside and said, you know, once a cheater, always a cheater. I mean, she fools you once, she will probably try to fool you twice. You need to just make a public spectacle of this girl. Because in those days, in order to break an engagement, it required a divorce to dissolve the engagement period. Now, Joseph was not only a, a righteous man, but he was also a, a gracious man. He had concluded in his mind that he would divorce her, but he would do so privately, as to not bring a lot of shame to the name and family of Mary. I think he would have gone through with it, too, if it hadn't been for that dream. One night, it is Matthew who tells us that an angel appeared to Joseph and said to him, Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, for what's conceived inside of her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son. You'll give him the name Jesus, and he will save his people from their sins. When Joseph woke up the next day, he was convinced that Mary had been telling him the truth, and he was determined to go through with this wedding ceremony. For Joseph... When he heard that Caesar had issued a decree that a census would be taken, he saw this as a blessing in disguise. For he gave him the opportunity to get out of town and take Mary with him. For he was not going to leave his engaged spouse Mary in that lion's den called Nazareth. No, he took her with him because he had to go register in the town of Bethlehem. The reason Joseph had to go to Bethlehem was because he was of the house and lineage of David. So he had to go to David's town. Now, most of the time when we think of that trip over the river and through the woods from Nazareth to Bethlehem, we think that it would have been a pleasant, pleasant journey and jaunt. But the reality is that it would have been grueling. It would have been treacherous. Not just for anybody, but especially for a teenage girl at the end of her third trimester. I mean, by now, Mary's feeling fat and ugly. And by now, she can't catch her breath. None of her clothes fit right. She hasn't slept well in weeks. Her ankles are swollen. She feels as if uh, she doesn't want anybody to look at her, anybody to touch her. And that donkey ride over those 90 miles left her leaving to go to the bathroom every 15 minutes. I mean, she was uncomfortable. And as she made the journey with Joseph, they finally got into David's town of Bethlehem and they found that the crowd was crawling throughout the streets. The city was packed and nobody had the joy of Christmas. Everybody was frustrated and irritated and rightfully so. Everybody was aggravated for standing in long lines at the Census Bureau People were vocalizing their apprehension. They were saying, this is another example of big government, just an overreach of Caesar, trying to take some more hard-earned money out of our pockets and our pouches. Everybody was frustrated with the government. Everybody was aggravated at Caesar for the census because they knew it was just another ploy of the government to take more money from them. This is the environment that Mary and Joseph find themselves in. 
And then it is Luke who tells us there was no room in the inn. It's not like they could have called ahead and made a reservation. When they got there, they looked around and there was no place for them to stay. We hear that phrase, no room in the inn, and we think of the inn as a Motel 6. We visualize a a rough and tough, a crude innkeeper who rudely turns away these two weary travelers. But the reality is, the inn is not a hotel, and there is no innkeeper. That's why Luke never mentions him. The inn is more like um, Oak Mountain State Park. It's more like a campground. For Luke to say there's no room in the inn is to say that there are no more camping spots. There's no more empty space, not even a place for somebody to lay down their head on a pillow at night. There was no room in the inn. Now Joseph is probably more ingenious than we ever give him credit for because he thought to himself, now this is the time of year when most shepherds are out in the field keeping watch over their flocks by night. I know it's rugged. I know that it's, it's kind of unkept, but at least, at least we may be able to stay in the stables because they just might be available because all the shepherds are in the field with their sheep. And that's what Joseph does. He finds an empty stable and there we are told that it came time for Mary to be delivered. She gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in swaddling clothes. She placed him in a manger. Now we have uh, nice, neat pleasantries when it comes to nativity, but we've pretty much uh, sanitized the stable, haven't we? The reality is the rock of age has arrived in a rustic cave. The reality is that Jesus, our Savior, stepped out of heaven, stepped into earth, into a smelly mess of a stable. That Jesus was born in a Bethlehem barn. It's almost ironic, isn't it? That Jesus was sent into a mess to deliver us from a mess. That Jesus came into the smelly, vile stable in order to liberate us from the smelly uh, uh, stable of our own very lives and our own sinfulness. Jesus came into a mess to deliver us from a mess. Now there are a lot of commentators who downplay the reality that Jesus was placed in a manger. But I just can't help but see it. it. It's mentioned not once, twice, but three times. In these 20 verses, we read in verse 7 and verse 12 and verse 16 that Jesus was placed in a manger. A manger is a cattle trough. The bread of life came to Bethlehem. And Bethlehem literally means Bethlehem, house of bread. So the bread of life came to the house of bread and was delivered and placed into a cattle trough, a feeding trough for animals. It's almost as if the Lord is saying, look, I I know I'm about to do something where you can feast on faith, that you're going to be able to be sustained for everything that you need. For on this night, I'll supply everything that you need, not just physical bread, but I will give you spiritual bread so you can feast on me both now and forevermore. With the arrival of Jesus, Jesus, the bread of life, came into the house of bread and was placed into a cattle trough as if to say, I've got you. God was saying to humanity, I've got all your needs taken care of. Now, normally when a king was born, 
It would be a poet who would give a pronouncement to the rich and famous in palace halls. But on this night, there was no poet. It was an angel. And the pronouncement was given not to the rich and famous, but to the poor and the lowly. And this pronouncement given by the angel to the poor, lowly shepherds was not given in a palace hall, but rather pasture hills. An angel appeared to the shepherds. Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be for all the people. For today is born to you in the city of David, a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You'll find that baby wrapped in swaddling cloth and lying in a manger. This was good news of great joy. The ancient text reads it this way. This is good news. It's gospel. It's euangelion. It's the good news of mega joy. That with the arrival of Jesus, there is supersized joy. There is an enormous amount of joy. And it's not just given to the people of Israel. It is to all the peoples, all the nations. For on this night is born to you a Savior. He is Christ the Lord. And this is a sign to you. You'll find this Christ child wrapped in cloth and lying in a manger. This good news of mega joy could not be confined to one angel. All of a sudden, numerous angels, a heavenly host appeared. And they were praising God saying, glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace to men upon whom his favor rests. Now, I don't know if angels can sing. I know according to our pop culture, we believe that angels can sing. I mean, when a person sings a song and they really do a great job, we say, you know, she can really sing like an angel, which I always find ironic because the names of angels that are given to us in the Bible are names of guys like Michael and Gabriel. But you never tell a guy, you really sing like an angel, do you? You've never said that. I've never been told I sing like an angel. I promise you that much. I've never been told that. And maybe many of you have never been told that. And if we ever tell anybody that, we only tell ladies that. Because somewhere somewhere along the way, we said that angels uh, can really sing. And when a girl can really sing, she can sing like an angel. That's according to the pop culture. But I don't know if angels can sing. What I do know is that angels can say, they can speak. According to Scripture, they can praise. Now, we may equate praising with singing. I understand that. We may say that praising is singing. Singing is praising. And it might be true that angels can sing. I really hope for the sake of this three-part sermon series, which is entitled Songs of Christmas, that angels can sing. But I don't know for a fact whether they can sing or not. I don't know if on this night, if there was a choral conductor in front of the angelic choir. I don't know if there was a percussion area uh, with the, as they belted out in rhythm what they were saying. I don't know, but I suspect that on this night, with this great news, that heaven pulled out all the stops and on this night the angels they proclaimed the angels they sang and they sang in a beautiful way and they said glory to God in the highest 
and on earth peace to men upon whom his favor rests. If there was ever a day and a night for angels to sing, it's this night. For them to declare the good news that Christ has come. With the arrival of Christ, it had an impact up and down, north and south. Because with the safe arrival of Jesus, glory to God in the highest. And with the safe arrival of Jesus and peace on earth to whom his favor rests. Did you catch the up and down aspect of their proclamation? Upwards they said, because Christ has come, glory to God in the highest. The word glory, it means uh, fame. It means honor. Now don't misunderstand the angels. They know what you know. That long before Christ stepped out of heaven and stepped into earth some 2,000 years ago, God was world-renowned. I mean, God is in a class all by himself. There's really nobody like him. He's already made a name for himself. I mean, God has already created everything seen and unseen, visible and invisible. God had already uh, spoken the world into existence. God had already formed Adam and Eve. God had already protected Noah and his family from the worldwide flood. God had already rescued the Israelites from their Egyptian captivity. God had already shown up and showed off on Mount Carmel with Elijah. I mean, God had already spoken through the prophets. God had already unstopped deaf ears and open up blind eyes. God had already raised the widow's son in Zarephath. I mean, God had already done some great things to make a name for himself. But the angels are saying by their declaration, now God, you've outdone yourself. I mean, tonight, you've outdone yourself. I mean, tonight, with the safe arrival of the Christ child, glory to God in the highest. You can't get any higher than God. You can't get any more glorious than what's happening right now. For God has ushered in salvation, not just for Jew, but also for Gentile. With the safe arrival of Jesus is the accomplishment, that is the promise that salvation will be accomplished. Glory to God in the highest. There is nothing greater than the reality that God's salvation has come. That we who are groping in darkness, we can now see a great light. We who are dead in our sins may be made alive in Christ Jesus. So here when the angel says glory to God in the highest, really what they're saying is, God, you've outdone yourself. I mean, this is really putting you in a stratosphere that nobody else can even get close to. Glory to God in the highest. And. With the arrival of the Christ child, peace on earth to men upon whom his favor rests. With the arrival of Jesus, there's not only glory to God in the highest, but also peace on earth. Now, don't misunderstand the angels. When they say peace on earth, they don't necessarily mean the absence of violence. Because with the arrival of Jesus, it prompted some violence. There were wise men that came traveling from the east. These magi were probably astrologers from Persia. They came to the existing king, King Herod. They asked the whereabouts of this newborn king. Now, I don't doubt their wisdom. 
But I don't think that's very smart. I don't think it's very wise to go to the existing king and say, hey, where is your replacement? They don't know who they're talking to. They're speaking to King Herod. He is a paranoid schizophrenic. He will put his own family members to death if he fears that they're trying to take his royal throne. I mean, this cat is messed up. And they gain an audience with him, and they say, where is this one born king of the Jews? Now, King Herod is a good politician. He knows how to be furious on the inside and on the outside look quite pleasant. He says, please tell me. Uh, when you find this one born king of the Jews, because I too want to go and worship him. You have come to pay homage to him. I want to go and pay homage to him. So please tell me where you find him. The wise men left. They followed the star. It rested over the house where the Christ child was. They went in and they gave gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And in a dream, they were warned not to go back to King Herod, to return back home by a different route. When Herod realized he had been outwitted by these wise guys, he was furious. He called his scholars, he called the theologians together. Where is the Messiah to be born? They quickly answered, Bethlehem. And with the arrival of Jesus came this decree. Every baby boy Born in Bethlehem and its vicinity, two years of age and under, in keeping with the time frame that was given to King Herod by the Magi, every boy that fit that description must be put to death. Theologians call this the slaughter of the innocents. Can you imagine being the parents of some of those boys. The arrival of Jesus did not bring them peace. Why did the coming of Jesus mean the killing of their son? The coming of Jesus did not bring peace in their heart nor in their home. It brought chaos in their lives because their boys, their bouncing baby boy, their precious son, his life was snuffed out just because this so-called king of the Jews had now been born. Just because Jesus arrived, it did not equate to the absence of violence. Actually, the arrival of Jesus prompted violence. So what does the angel mean when the angels proclaim that there is now peace on earth because of our disobedience to God, because of our sin? We are enemies of God. We're at odds with God. The scripture will tell us later in the New Testament that we are spiritually dead. We are dead in our sin. It will also describe us as being enemies of the Lord. That we are on the opposite side of the battlefield. Because of our rebellion, because of our craving to be our own God and to call our own shots and to do our own thing and not have anybody tell us what to do. Because we have such arrogant rebellion against God Almighty, we are enemies of God. And God said, I want to do something about that. So he sent Jesus to make peace and to keep peace. He sent Jesus 
not only so that we would now become allies of God, not only that we might become friends of God, but ultimately that we would be the family of God. Stop and consider that, that the Lord sent Jesus He sent Jesus to pave the way of peace so that we who are enemies of God might be adopted into God's family, recipients of the divine inheritance where we will be called sons and daughters of God, an enemy being adopted into the family. Would you do that? Would you adopt your enemy into your family? Let me just stop and think about it. I don't know who your enemy is, but think about it. It could be the bully that beat you up in second grade. It could be the person that always beat you out of the starting job uh, for the baseball team. It could be that person who got the promotion and everybody knows that you're more qualified than that person to get the promotion. I mean, who is your enemy? That person that, you know, I know you're a Christian, so you don't want to pray really bad against them, but you think to yourself, God, if you don't bless them, that's okay with me. It's your enemy. It's somebody that you just don't like, you don't care for, you definitely don't love them, and really, you don't want a whole lot of good to happen to them. This is your enemy. And what God did for us in Christ is as if he made enemies adopted as his sons and daughters. That's amazing. Would you do that? Would you adopt your enemy into your family? to be recipients of your inheritance. This is exactly what God does in Christ. The angels say the arrival of Jesus is so awesome. It is is glory to God in the highest. And it's peace on earth. It's, It's the ultimate peace. It's peace, not the absence of violence, but it's peace, the absence of condemnation. It's peace on earth. The inhabitants of the earth can now be made at peace with their creator, God Almighty. With the arrival of this Christ child, with the arrival of this baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and placed in a manger, there is now glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. But this peace on earth, it's not given to everyone, is it? Who's it given to? How does the angel qualify it? Peace on earth to men. That word for man is humanity. It implies men and women, boys and girls. It's given to men, women, boys and girls, upon whom his favor rests. So in other words, this peace is given to the people of God. It's not given to all the world. The world doesn't understand the peace of God. Only Christians, Christ followers, understand the peace of God. And we as Christ's followers are described as people upon whom his favor rests. Last week we described favor for that word favor was used to define Mary, that Mary was highly favored of the Lord. And we said that favor is being sovereignly selected by God's kindness to do God's goodness. That's favor. Favor has nothing to do with finances. Favor has nothing to do with your health. Favor has nothing to do with your success. Favor has nothing to do with your worldly ease and your absence of difficulty. Favor has everything to do with being sovereignly selected by God's kindness to do God's goodness. This 
peace that is promised to the people and the inhabitants of earth is given to those of us who have been favored by the Lord. Those of us who have been sovereignly selected by him, by his kindness, to do his goodness. Now, I'm not diminishing your role and responsibility to willfully choose to follow Christ. But the way you demonstrate God's favor is through your faith. Your faith in Jesus Christ demonstrates that you have been favored of the Lord. So with the arrival of Jesus, there is glory to God in the highest. He's outdone himself. And because of the arrival of Jesus now, there can be peace for God's people. That peace can only come through what this Christ child will do that ultimately we describe in the gospel as that Jesus, he went to the cross on our behalf. He died our death. He was placed in our grave. On the third day, he was raised from the dead. When he was there hanging on Calvary's cross, he was taking all of our punishment and all of our condemnation and all the righteous wrath that should be meted out against the enemies of God was meted out against Jesus. And Jesus... He took it all upon himself. He was buried. On the third day, he was raised from the dead. And if you believe upon Christ, if you have faith that your sins were placed on the shoulders of Jesus and that Jesus died in your place, in your stead, then you are the favored of God. The angels come and they say, this this, this good news, it's of great joy. It's not just for some people, it's for all people who will receive him. It's not just for Jews, it's also for Gentiles. It's for all the nations. Christ has come. And with the arrival of Christ, there's glory to God in the highest. And on earth, there's peace to men upon whom his favor rests. Once again, you think this would be given to the religious elite, the Pharisees, the Sadducees. But no, it was given to shepherds. Nobody told shepherds anything. Shepherds were regarded as liars and thieves. They were regarded as unschooled, uneducated. They were regarded as people that you really couldn't trust or depend upon. Shepherds. No little boy ever uh, grew up with aspirations of being a shepherd. The boys in Bethlehem, they wanted to be doctors and lawyers and rabbis. They did not want to be a shepherd. A shepherd was a thankless job. A shepherd was reserved for nobody who could get another job. It was reserved for individuals who would spend a lot of time away from their family and spend a lot of time just with four-legged woolly creatures called sheep. Shepherds. And on this night, This good news, this proclamation was given to shepherds. Why? I'll give you two reasons. I think one is theological and the other is more pragmatic. The theological reason is because if you have good news, you better tell it to somebody who knows the bad news. And the shepherds understood the bad news, that they were sinful, they were broken, uh, they were incomplete, they were individuals that they did not have to be told they were sinners, they knew they were sinners. So theologically, they were given the good news because they were well aware of the bad news of their soul. But practically speaking, pragmatically, these are the guys who knew where the stables were in Bethlehem. And if the Christ child is going to be wrapped in swaddling clothes and placed in a manger, it makes a whole lot of sense to tell guys who know where all the stables are where he is. And that's exactly what the angels do. 
They say he's in a stable. And when the angels leave, the shepherds say to each other, hey, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing. We know exactly where all the stables are on the north side, south side, east side, west side. We know exactly where all the stables are all throughout Bethlehem. So let's go. And they went and they found the stable that had Jesus, the Christ child, because there was only one manger that had a baby in it that night. He is Christ the Lord. The scripture says that they hurried off in obedience. Whenever I read that, um, I'm impressed by their obedience. I mean, they hurried off in obedience. I'm impressed. I'm also shocked. I mean, this is a vocational suicide. These shepherds have one stinking job. Watch the sheep. Don't take your eyes off the sheep. Watch the sheep. Don't let anything come in and harm the sheep. And on this night, what do they do? Whoop, they leave the sheep behind and they go into Bethlehem. So in one hand, I'm very impressed with their obedience. On the other hand, I'm kind of shocked by their obedience. But the scripture says that they hurried off into obedience. When I think of that, the Spirit asks my soul a question. Are there things that you need to hurry off unto obedience to that sometimes you just put off? Friend, are there things that God wants you to do and you've just put it off instead of hurried off? And when it comes to areas of evangelism or prayer or personal holiness or hunger for God, when it comes to your morality, when it comes to your ethics, are there some things that you're just putting off, putting off to another day and another time when the reality is you, like the shepherds, you need to hurry off unto obedience? Is there anything this Christmas season that you need to hurry off to in obedience instead of just putting off for another day? The shepherds hurried off to obedience. They found everything just as it had been described to them. They told Mary and Joseph what the angels uh, said about this Christ child. And Mary pondered all these things in her heart. And the shepherds left, and they spread the word concerning this child. This is the first super spreader of Scripture, right? They spread the word concerning this child. And they told everybody who would listen, Christ has come, and he's come for you. Christ has come. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace to men upon whom his favor rests. The shepherds said, listen, we don't know much, but we know that this night something spectacular just happened. Christ has come. I wonder this Christmas season, is there anything that you need to hurry off unto obedience? Is there anything you need to do to spread the word concerning this child? Do you need to tell family members and friends, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men upon whom his favor rests? I'm convinced the last two years, um, COVID didn't kill anything in the church. The more I think about it, the more I'm convinced that, that COVID uncovered a couple of things in the church. For us here at First Baptist Pelham, I think what COVID uncovered is that we do a pretty good job of ministering to people once they come through the doors of the church. 
But what we need to do a much better job is aggressively going after people compelling them to come to the doors of the church. Why do I say that? I say that because, you know, as a staff, we sit around and, and throughout the year and every year, we talk about various metrics, uh, measuring tools that help us determine the, the health of this faith family. And I suspect that if COVID had not happened, that the metrics would have been pretty similar to years past, previous to COVID. I think that in the year 2020, in the year 2021, had COVID not happened, I think that we still would have averaged in attendance every week somewhere between 900 to 1,000 people. I think we probably would have maintained about a $3 million budget. We would have successfully gone on 20 plus mission trips. I suspect that more than 100 people would have joined this faith family every year with about 35 or so of them coming through the waters of baptism. I don't just make those numbers up. I base that off of our experience over the last six, seven years of being together. And I think that if COVID had not happened, I think those numbers would have consistently continued to happen in the year 2020, in the year 2021. And we would have concluded by reading those metrics, we're pretty healthy. We're doing okay. I mean, we can always do better, but, but we're pretty healthy. And I think what COVID did is it uncovered the reality that what we should have been doing all along, we weren't necessarily doing in the sense of reaching aggressively, intentionally, new neighbors who are coming in to our neck of the woods. Because in the last two years of 2020 and 2021, I can tell you that your generosity has been so strong we have been able to maintain a budget of $3 million plus, to God be the glory. But it's been more than two years since 1,000 people have been here in worship on any given Sunday. And currently, we're running about 70% of our pre-COVID numbers. In 2020, we did not go on 20 mission trips. We went on four. In 2021, we didn't go on 21 mission trips. We went on seven. In the year 2020, the Lord added 64 people to the church, to God be the glory. In the year 2021, he's added so far 71 people to his church, once again, to God be the glory. Of those 71, 17 have come through the waters of baptism. Now, I'm not negating any of that, to God be the glory. And I'm also very aware that we are walking through a global pandemic. But at the same time, I think what the Lord has impressed upon me is that what we should have been doing all along, maybe we weren't doing as intentionally as we ought. So it caused us as a staff to sit down and to think, what are some things that we need to hurry off in obedience to in order to spread the word regarding this child in the year 2022? And we came across an organization called Opportunity Knox. Opportunity Knox, uh, supplies a postcard to every new resident that moves into a specific zip code once a month for the first three months. Now, they produced uh, a card. And just between me and you, it wasn't very good. So we crafted our own card. 
And I think that our card is better. In fact, I wish I could just send the whole card to all of you guys, but I, I won't. But, but it's a very good card, all right? And so uh, that card has been approved, and, and we are going to send that card through the company called Opportunity Knox. And for the once a month, for three months, every new resident in Pelham, Helena, and Alabaster will get that card. It would just say, welcome to the neighborhood. Here we are. This is who we are. We would love to minister to you and your family. But what's, what's even greater is that this organization not only sends the postcard, but they give us the name of the head of household and the address. So we're going to go one step further, and we're going to go knock on their door. And we're going to say to them, we're glad you're here. I hope you got a card that looks something like this. This is us. This is First Baptist Pelham. We've come not only just to welcome you to the neighborhood, but we've also come to tell you that Christ has come. And we exist to minister to you. Just give us a shot. Just give us a chance. Let's put this in context. In the month of October, this company is telling us that in Pelham, Helena, and Alabaster, there were 181 new addresses in one month alone. 181 new family units. That's not individuals, that's family units. Can I ask you, in October, did you meet 181 new families? I didn't either. Since October, have you met 181 new families that you didn't know before? <laughs> I haven't either. But guess what? We're going to have the opportunity to. So we have partnered with this company. Uh, for the first time, last Monday, they sent us a list of names and addresses. And just last Monday, which represents probably a week to two weeks, uh, the previous week or two weeks of new residents in Pelham, Helena, and Alabaster. And just last week, there were 45 families that moved in. So guess what happens? In January, we're going to begin to visit them on Tuesday night. We're just going to knock on their door and say, hey, we are glad you're here. Christ has come. We exist to minister to you. Because this is what we should have been doing all along, right? And COVID didn't kill anything. It just simply revealed it. Now, you do the math, and it will be very difficult for me to knock on 181 doors a month. So I enlisted the help of the other pastors, and I didn't even ask them if they wanted to. But even for seven of us, that would still be difficult to do. So then I went to the deacons, and I really didn't ask them if they wanted to help, but they willingly, eagerly said, sign us up. Okay, that's about 30 or so. But I venture that there may be some other people listening to my voice today who'd say, Pastor, I'll hurry off in obedience and I'll spread the word concerning this child. I'll go knock on a door and invite people to come and share the good news. I'll do it. The way we want to do this is beginning on the first Tuesday of January, we want to send out a team of people. And I'm asking, would you be willing to give one Tuesday night a month for the next 12 months in the year 2022. 
where on 12 occasions you will come on a Tuesday night, you'll receive an address and a name, or many addresses and names, and you will go out and you will welcome people to our neck of the woods and you will tell them that Christ is born and you will tell them that we exist to minister to you and to your family and we would love for you to come join us here at First Baptist Church Pelham because we exist to make disciples for a global impact and we want to serve you. And I wonder this day, is there anybody, any shepherd, anybody who just needs to hurry off to obedience and spread the word concerning this child? Today at the invitation, you have the opportunity to do so. Pastor Randy will be here, give you the opportunity to sign up if you so choose. But I don't just limit the invitation to that. Are there other areas that you're putting off? that you need to hurry off to obedience? Is there anyone here who needs to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? Listen, you've been putting it off far too long. And the Spirit of God is tugging at your heart once again today to God be the glory. And the Lord wants you to come down when the first note is struck. Take one of the pastors by the hand and say, Pastor, I need this Christ child in my life so that I can declare with the angels, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men upon whom his favor rests. Maybe you're here today. You've been putting off your salvation. Don't put it off any longer today. Hurry off unto obedience. Maybe you're here and you've been putting off church membership. Today, hurry off and join this faith family. We would love to have you. Maybe you're putting off a prayer concern. It's just private. It's something you keep to yourself. And the Spirit's been urging you to come and pray and maybe bring somebody with you to come and pray. And this morning, don't put it off any longer. Hurry off into obedience. Because I came to tell you, just like the angels told the shepherds, Christ has come. And it has an impact north and south, up and down. Because Christ has come, God has outdone himself. This is his salvation for you. Glory to God in the highest. And because Christ has successfully come, then he gives peace on earth to the men and women who are favored of the Lord. He came to remove your condemnation so that you could be at peace with your creator. I wonder, is there anybody who needs to stop putting off and start hurrying off unto obedience? Heavenly Father, we bow before you. We give you this invitation. So now, Lord, we pray that you will help us stir in our hearts what you want us to do and help us to hurry off unto obedience. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.